The stock market officially hits bear market territory as the Fed desperately seeks to tamp down inflation. The January 6th committee keeps rehashing the stuff we already knew. And Pride Month continues with perverse displays in front of small children. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. So bear market time which means you might want to think about how you invest, right? What's your investment strategy? Here is the thing. Out-of-control inflation is hammering the living crap out of the stock market at this point. The S&P 500 is having its worst start to the year since World War II. We are now in official bear market territory. Now might be a decent time for you to diversify into gold. Now, here's the thing. You should have listened to me before. So if you didn't before, probably should listen now. Okay, gold is the most stable asset in the history of planet Earth. Birch Gold is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. That's right. Not only will Birch Gold help you fortify your savings with precious metals, they'll help you do it in a tax-sheltered account. Text Ben to 989898 to get started. Amazon stock is now down 37% in the first half of the year. Tesla is down 40%. Cryptos have been slammed. Many fear the hawkish moves by the Fed could stall the economy. So what exactly is your plan? Text Ben to 989898. Get your free no-obligation info kit on gold from Birch Gold. Ask all of your questions. Get all of your answers. I'm not saying, like, get only into gold. I'm saying diversification is the smart thing to do. Birch Gold, they are the precious metals professionals. I trust them enough to buy directly from them. Text Ben to 989898. Secure your savings today. Well, Bidenomics has been a giant failure. And the easiest way to tell that Bidenomics has been a giant failure is that we are now in a full-on bear market. According to the Wall Street Journal, the stock market sell-off deepened on Monday with the S&P 500 entering a bear market as investors took another look at Friday's red-hot inflation data and liked it even less, which is not a surprise because the inflation data month-on-month was, again, 8.6% annualized inflation rate. That is a horrifying rate of inflation. Faced with rising chances of aggressive monetary tightening by the Federal Reserve, investors broadly unloaded risk. The S&P 500 slumped 3.9% as 495 of its 500 components ended the day lower. So that is not a matter of a few big companies that are dragging the rest of the market down. This is a matter of every single company, with the exception of like five companies, had its stock decline. And that is because people are looking at this economy and they're like, I don't have the extra cash. People are looking at the economy and they are figuring they need to either liquidate their assets in order to pay the bills, or they're trying to get out of the stock market because they believe that it's going to decline even further. And given the fact that Joe Biden wants heavier regulations, heavier taxation, global taxation schemes, the likelihood is that we are now entering a period of significant economic stagnation over the course of the next several years, and maybe for the next decade. This is the really systemic problem here. It's not just inflation. Inflation, the Fed will get control of it. It'll be painful. It'll be a problem. The Fed is not going to be able to do this lukewarm thing where they gradually raise the inflation rate just ever so slightly and edge us away from inflationary territory and away from a recession. Instead, what's going to happen is that the Fed is going to have to clamp down because Again, the Federal Reserve, as much as people like to pretend it's a scalpel, it's not. It's a blunt instrument. The Federal Reserve does not have a magic wand that can bring down inflation without also slowing economic activity. It does not have the ability to make that magical balance happen where the markets have no bear market or bull market territory. All that ends up happening, what the Federal Reserve really does in the end is it sort of smooths out the various bumps in the market, but it can't get rid of the hills and valleys in the market entirely. And very often, it creates larger hills and larger valleys over the course of time. So if you figure you look at the markets from, say, 1860 to 1925, right before the Federal Reserve became sort of a major issue in American life, what you see is there are a lot of booms, there are a lot of busts. But overall, the trend line looks like that. And you see that that even continues in the early days of the Federal Reserve. And now what you see is sort of an, an economic stagnation, like slight growth, and then you'll see a big, big turn down, then you'll see a big turn up, but it's slower. Everything is much, much slower. So if before everything was vacillating about the growth line at a very fast rate, now what you see because of the Federal Reserve is everything is very slow. So after 2008, you'll see a very slow and steady incremental increase in the economy. And then you'll see a big shock, and then you'll see a slow and steady increase in the economy, and then you'll see a downturn, and it'll be a little bit gradual. So instead of these kind of gigantic shocks happening every five years, what you have is big shocks happening maybe every 20 or 30 years. And then in the meantime, you have slower growth or you have slower or you have slower declines. And, and, and that is simply because when you have the Federal Reserve, which has now been put in charge of not just fiscal and monetary policy, they've been put in charge of economic policy, when basically the federal government has abdicated all responsibility for the economy to the Federal Reserve, to this cadre of experts, well, that cadre of experts is often wrong. But they also are able to maintain a consistent policy over the course of long periods of time, which Congress is not really able to do. Now, none of this was really foreseen when the Federal Reserve was given 
the sort of power that it was given. The idea from the Federal Reserve is that it was going to be a rather inactive branch of American government. That it was basically there to backstop the banks. It was there to make sure there weren't runs on the banks such that you had a complete collapse in the banking system. To make sure there was a slow but steady rate of inflation. That's at least what Milton Friedman proposed and was taken up by the Federal Reserve in the 1960s, 1970s. Well, now the Federal Reserve has become the policymaker of first resort. This is a point made by Mohammed El Arian, the head of Allianz. And he has said that when the Federal Reserve becomes the policymaker of first resort, you end up basically using up what it was that you had in reserve, right? When it was the last resort, you would do all these things. Then finally, it got down to it. You call on the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve is the chief policymaker in the United States. And this is true for central banks across the world. When you exhaust all those options, there's nothing, there's nowhere else to go. And this is what we are now experiencing in the economy. It's why people are freaking out. Well, the stock market is down. In fact, you know, now is the time where you look down memory lane, you think, man, probably should have sold my stocks like six months ago. Well, while you're down there, you know, like on memory lane, you might want to think about preserving your old family memories, which is why you need Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the simplest, safest way to digitize all of your aging videotapes, camcorder tapes, film reels, pictures, so they are preserved forever. You know, Father's Day is coming up, or as we in the political community like to call it, second official legal guardian day of unspecified gender. Well, for Father's Day, an excellent thing to do is preserve your family memories for dad or for the person who plays dad in your family, or for whomever. Legacy Box is great with this sort of stuff. We've done it for my family. I actually did it for my actual dad. Went to his garage, got all of the film reels, got all the pictures, shipped them off to Legacy Box. They came back in digitized form. Where are your family's old film reels, videotapes, and photos? Are they sitting in those dusty shoe boxes and neglected bins at the risk of completely fading away? You know they are. Go preserve them today. Each item is hand digitized by a team of over 200 trained technicians right here in the United States. Each kit includes everything you need to safely pack and send your recorded moments, including safety stickers for every single item. You will be the family hero this Father's Day. The Legacy Box Father's Day event is happening right now. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Save 50%. Legacy Box is great for your family or as a gift for dad. That's LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro for 50% off. LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Meanwhile, a route in cryptocurrencies highlighted investors' increasing unwillingness to hang on to their most speculative holdings, according to the Wall Street Journal. The price of Bitcoin plunged below 23000 before pairing that loss to trade at 5 p.m. Eastern, down 66% from its November high. As of November, Bitcoin was trading at above 60,000. The drop in crypto accelerated Monday after interest rate fears sparked a weekend sell-off. So you would figure that in a time of economic uncertainty, Bitcoin might do okay, except for the fact that Bitcoin, in a lot of people's mind, is not a well-established asset. And it hasn't been as broadly adopted as some people would like it to be. And so if you have an asset and you're going to sell it off, are you going to sell off U.S. Treasuries, which are a pretty well-established asset over the course of a century, two centuries? Or are you going to sell off Bitcoin? And so people have been selling off Bitcoin. This does not mean the end of the crypto markets. It means that speculative Bitcoins, speculative cryptos, those ones are going to take a massive hit, right? Luna has taken a huge hit. Bitcoin and Ethereum, they've taken big hits. I think they will come back. I think they'll come back over time specifically because they're well-established enough that as the market presumably recovers, or as it at least evens out, people are going to start looking at it just like another asset class. However, the more speculative stuff, the sort of F Joe Biden Bitcoins, I, like I, I, those those always seemed very sketch to me. And so the idea that these were going to be a big boom town for people, that only holds when you have cheap and easy money that's available to everyone. We're definitely seeing a risk-off atmosphere, a flight to quality, said Charlie Ripley, senior investment strategist at Allianz Investment Management. In that environment, people need to raise cash. So people are taking their money out of speculative assets. They're trying to sell those off, and they're trying to get into what they think are more solid assets. Which again, this is not rare. When you inflate the currency, when you inflate the economy, and people have extra cash in their pockets, they tend to spend it on speculative things, hoping that there will be a big boom and then they can sell it. But what happens when nobody has that extra money? Well, you're going to take that money, you're going to put it in the surest thing available. And so what you've seen is actually yield curves inverting, which means people are now investing in long-term bonds, for example, more than they are in short-term bonds. At least that was one thing that happened for a brief moment yesterday that usually foretells a recession in the next one to two years. And again, the the notion that the Federal Reserve is going to be able to cure this, the Federal Reserve created this. So the idea that Jerome Powell is going to magically fix all of the problems on behalf of Joe Biden is just crazy. U.S. tech stocks, which soared throughout the pandemic, notched big declines. Apple shares fell 3.8%. Amazon lost 5.5%. Chipmaker NVIDIA slid 7.8%. Tesla dropped 7.1%. Meta, the parent company of Facebook, lost 6.4%. Todd Morgan, chairman of LA-based Bel Air Investment Advisor, said this is what you call a bear market, where fear is taking place and pushing people out of the market and having people empty up portfolios and capitulate. Now, do I think that you should be selling right now? I'm not selling right now. That's all I will say. I don't give investment advice. I'll just tell you what I am doing, not selling, because this is very easy, Econ 101, when the price is low. Now is a really bad time to sell if you don't have to liquidate those assets. Hold on. I'm not saying that now is the time to buy because I don't know how much market, how much lower the market's going to go. But I will tell you that in times of a declining market, I typically go to 
my investment people. And I tell them to gradually increase the amount that they're buying if possible, because buying on the downslope is usually a better idea than buying on the upslope, which is what most people did during the pandemic. Now, again, Bitcoin has taken this serious hit because there are a lot of speculative traders in Bitcoin. A lot of the extra money people had in their pocket went into Bitcoin. Bitcoin slide since November, according to the Wall Street Journal, has contributed to a roughly $2 trillion wipeout in the broader market. Crypto's total market capitalization, meaning like all the shares of crypto multiplied by the price of crypto, which peaked in November at nearly $3 trillion, stood at around $975 billion Monday evening. That's a loss of over $2 trillion in value in the crypto market. Now, again, if you're holding crypto, if you haven't sold the crypto, you haven't realized the loss. But this also goes to show you how stupid the policy promoted by Elizabeth Warren and company is. Their policy was that we should do a wealth tax. So when you had an unrealized gain in something like crypto, we should tax the unrealized gain. Why well, are they going to be a tax refund for the unrealized loss? Like, how exactly is this supposed to work? The answer is it doesn't. It's all just stupidity attempting to confiscate wealth from people who are the high income earners in our society, meaning the most successful business people in our society. According to the Wall Street Journal, there are some clear reasons why Bitcoin is selling off now. For one thing, its moves have been more generally aligned with other risk assets like tech stocks as professional traders have joined the crypto market in bigger numbers. Speculative assets like crypto have been falling as high inflation persists. Central banks try to combat that with higher interest rates, which, of course, crypto is usually a hedge against inflation. Well, right now you have an inflating currency, but you're also seeing the Federal Reserve and other central banks ramp up the interest rates. So the idea is that inflation eventually is going to be crushed here and that will damage crypto. On Friday, the U.S. inflation index hit 8.6%, dragging down the stock market. So you have this very weird market in which pretty much everything is taking a hit at this point, and there are no safe havens, which is a dangerous place to be. And this is being particularly jogged by the uncertainty from the Fed. Remember, I said a couple of months ago, I did not think they were increasing interest rates fast enough. That when you have, to, when you, when you have a massive inflationary bubble like you have right now, you can't increase it gradually and go to what are still close to record lows in the inflation rate. In the, in the interest rate, rather. You can't go from a 0% interest rate to a 1.5% interest rate and hope that that crushes 10% inflation. That ain't going to do it. Back in the early 1980s, Paul Volcker had to put the interest rates at something close to 20% in order to tamp down inflation. If you think that the interest rates at 2.5%, 3% are going to tamp down inflation, you got another thing coming. That's not the way this is happening. We have the biggest inflationary bubble in four decades. You're going to have to see the overall interest rates increase to the 5 to 6% range, I think, before you start to see inflation really start to come down in a severe way. And that means there will be a recession. And pretty much everybody knows it at this point. The Federal Reserve has been trying to pitch you a bill of goods here, saying they're going to fix all of your problems. Do you hate it when people try to sell products they know next to nothing about, like the Federal Reserve right now? Well, this is why you should not head on over to your local auto parts store when you need to fix your car, because the people behind the counter, they don't know anything. Instead, you need rockauto.com. What they know is auto parts. That's all they sell, auto parts and related tools. Rock Auto is a family business founded by automotive engineers over 20 years ago. Their original goal was and still is to make auto parts available and affordable so customers can keep their daily drivers and classics safely on the road. RockAuto.com's online parts catalog is uniquely easy to use. You quickly see all the parts available for your specific car, SUV, or truck. There are photos, specs, and installation tips to help you pick the best parts to meet your vehicle's needs. RockAuto.com will not only have the part, but usually will give you several trusted brands to choose from. Rock Auto's kits are also popular because they bundle together all the parts needed for a successful repair. You don't get halfway through installing a timing belt and then discover that you actually need another pulley or something. Professional mechanics, do-it-yourselfers, they always pay the same reliably low prices. So, your car is worth now more than probably it has ever been, even if it is used. So preserve your car's health. Go to rockauto.com, get the brakes, shocks, carpet, wipers, headlights, mirrors, mufflers, lug nuts, or any other part you need. Be sure when you check out, write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Larry Summers was the former Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton and who called the inflation bubble. He looked at Janet Yellen, who's the new Treasury Secretary, and who's saying she doesn't see a recession on the way. He's like, well, you're wrong about one of these things. You're about to be wrong about the other. Secretary Yellen, who has the job you once had, said this week that, quote, there is nothing to suggest a recession is in the works. Do you agree with that? No, I don't. You think um, a recession is in the works? I think that when, infl I think when inflation is as high as it is right now and unemployment is as low as it is right now, it's almost always been followed within two years by inflation. By, by it, it is amazing how the narrative changed so quickly. You remember the last summer it was, inflation is transitory, don't worry about it, everything's good. Then it was, inflation is not transitory, don't worry, everything is good. Then as inflation is a crisis, recession is not going to happen. Then it was, well, recession might happen, but probably not for a little while and maybe we can avoid it. And within, a, I promise you, within a couple of months, it's gonna be, oh, recession is here. Because this is the way that our experts were, in our expert class, if the last few years have proved nothing, except one thing, if they've proved only one thing, 
That thing would be the expert class. They're not experts in things. And just because you have a lot of knowledge about one specific topic does not mean that you are capable of taking into consideration all of the various factors that go into even your topic. Now, the collective wisdom of humanity is far larger than that of the expert class. Experts are very good at knowing one thing. The, the general public is very good at knowing a little bit about a lot of things. And when you gather all of that together, that broad base of knowledge is much larger than that of any one expert, which is why centralized economics is such a dumb idea. And you get a bunch of experts in the room trying to figure out how literally hundreds of millions, billions of people are going to interact with one another. Typically, that fails. And the expert class has been wrong about pretty much everything. They're wrong about COVID in terms of their lockdown policies, locking kids out of schools, masking up kids. All of this is a giant fail. They're wrong about their inflationary policy during the pandemic. They've been wrong on pretty much every election since 2014. They're just wrong. on pretty much, And yet they maintain that the reason you're not listening to them is not because they're bad at their jobs. The reason you're not listening to them is because of propaganda or malinformation. No, it's because they're bad at their jobs. You wonder why there's institutional distrust. Maybe it's because the people running the institutions are really terrible at their jobs. According to the Wall Street Journal, now the Federal Reserve is vacillating. So you remember, they had said they're, they're very specific about what they were going to do, which is always a dumb idea. They should have just said, we are going to raise the interest rates as much as necessary, as quickly as necessary, in order to tamp down inflation. Instead, what they did is they said, okay, well, we're, we're definitely not going to raise the interest rates more than 0.5% at, at the next Fed meeting. And, and the meeting after that, like we have a regular rule, the regular rule is 0.5%. And the problem is, then when they announce 0.75%, which is more than 0.5, but it is not 3%, then the markets freak out, which is what we've been seeing this week. According to the Wall Street Journal, a string of troubling inflation reports in recent days is likely to lead the Fed to consider surprising markets with a larger than expected 0.75 percentage point interest rate increase at their meeting this week. Before officials began their pre-meeting pre quiet period on June 4th, they had signaled they were prepared to raise interest rates by half a percentage point this week and again at their meeting in July. They'd also said their outlook depended on the economy evolving as they expected. Last week's inflation report from the Labor Department showed a bigger jump in prices in May than officials had anticipated. And there is something deeply disturbing about the fact that we have hundreds of millions of people who all have holdings in the stock market, sitting around and waiting on like seven guys in suits to figure out the direction of the American economy. That is not the way any of this is supposed to work. The same thing happens to be true when it comes to the Constitution of the United States. Like yesterday, we were waiting around, literally waiting in the newsroom to see whether the Supreme Court was going to bring down its decision on Roe versus Wade. And so you have the entire country waiting on nine people in robes to decide the fate of the country. This sort of stuff is not how things are supposed to work. In a democratic republic, most power is supposed to devolve to the local level. And most power is really supposed to devolve to the individual. You're not supposed to be sitting around waiting for the expert class to control the most important areas of your life, from economics to how your rights are defined, to the rights of the unborn. But nonetheless, that seems to be more and more. We've delegated more and more power to people that we, we declare the expert class. And that is the outgrowth of a progressive, a progressive agenda from the early 20th century, promoted by people like Woodrow Wilson. The idea was that government is just too complicated for the people. And so we have to have experts and bureaucrats figuring out everything for us. And now we're all very comfortable with this. Well, we don't know about the environment. Let's just delegate it to the EPA. And those people, they're the experts. They'll know. We don't know that much about COVID if we just listen to the experts. We don't know that much about econ. Let's just, you know, there's some experts at the federal. They know. They, well, what if they don't? Because nobody knows. Not because even they're so crappy at their jobs, but because you cannot delegate a massive swath of life to a very small cadre of individuals whose knowledge is limited because inherently, the knowledge of individuals is limited in a way that group and collective knowledge just is not. Okay, well, all of this results in rather large-scale unpopularity for Joe Biden. The main characteristic of the Biden administration is that they've been wrong about everything, but they are completely blind to the consequences of their own decision-making. It is amazing how many times they, they have done something, not even thinking about what comes next, and then the thing that comes next is perfectly predictable, and they freak out. This is what happened in Afghanistan. We have a plan. Here's a plan, said Joe Biden. We have a work pull out of Afghanistan, and when we pull out, it's going to, you know, Taliban are going to take, oh, that's crazy. To, oh, they, oh, oh. Whether it's that or whether it's, we're going to build back Padangadi, and we're going to build back better and pour money into the economy as gasoline on a, oh, there, there won't be inflation. That's transit. Oh, oh, no, oh. Or what, what if we shut off the, we don't need oil. Well, oil and gas will we're going to shut it down, man. Come on, man. Oil and gas. We don't need that. We're going to move toward a green energy. That won't mean that it's going to hurt. Oh, oh. OO is the running, the that, that is the 2024 slogan of the Biden administration is OO. <laughs> the minute that they figure out, oops, 
Everything that we did has been counterproductive. According to the Wall Street Journal, in recent weeks, top officials in the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve have publicly conceded. They made mistakes in their handling of inflation. Oh, well, now that you've conceded it, I, probably I trust you more. You know, like, first of all, you should concede it because you're idiots. But if your agenda is, yeah, sorry, we botched the most important economic issue of the last 10 years, our, our bad. Also, if you could give us more power, that'd be amazing. No. Behind their errors was a misreading of the economy, says the Wall Street Journal. Advisors to President Biden and Fed officials worried the COVID-19 pandemic and related restrictions would bring similar consequences to the 2007-2009 financial crisis. Weak demand, slow growth, long periods of high unemployment, and too low inflation. So first of all, that's idiotic. That's so stupid. Really. I said when Joe Biden took office, we were going to see an unprecedented recovery. I said at the beginning of COVID that after COVID was over, we were going to see an unprecedented recovery because it was an artificial depression. See, 2007 to 2009 was not artificial. That was the bottom fell out of the real estate market. It dragged down pretty much every area of the market because of the collateralization of bad mortgages that it infused nearly every insurance industry company and infused the banks. And so it was dragging down wide swaths of the economy. COVID, everything was going fine. And then everyone said, go home and stay home for a year and we'll pay you. So what that meant is that when we stopped doing that, people would go back to work because we had a status quo ante. There was no status quo anti 2007 to 2009 because we had an actual systemic problem. There was no real economic systemic problem in February of 2020. And then COVID hit. And so the idea was when COVID was over, which was supposed to be when the vaccines came out, circa January, February, March of 2021, we would be done and the economy would start to run hot again. I mean, again, it didn't take a genius to say this. I was saying this at the time. I'm not an economic genius. I can just read basic charts. That's all. But these morons somehow got it. They thought there was going to be weak demand. In what world would there be weak demand? We had poured $7 trillion into the economy. How is there going to be weak demand? Like based on what? People had more savings after the pandemic than they had before the pandemic. But these idiots kept running the inflation hot. Now, the real reason they're running the inflation hot is because Joe Biden and Ezra Klein and all of the econ geniuses on the other side, they were suggesting that if you run the economy hot, it was going to help the poorest. The only problem is when you inflate the economy, it hurts the poorest most. So the Biden administration and the Fed, according to the Wall Street Journal, applied the last playbook to the new crisis. The Fed redeployed low interest rate policies it believed had been effective and generally benign and promised not to pull back prematurely. Elected officials concluded they'd relied too heavily on the Fed previously and decided to spend more aggressively this time, starting with Donald Trump capping with Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus. Moreover, many Democrats saw their control of the White House and Congress as a rare opportunity to shift Washington's priority away from tax cuts and toward expansive new social programs. Again, this was the Build Back Better lie. That they were going to build. We didn't need you to build back better. We needed to leave well enough alone. Stop. Instead, they decided they were going to build. They had great images of how they're going to build things. This is the lie about capitalism and free markets. They are not constructed by people at the top. All other systems are constructed by people at the top. Capitalism is constructed by people at the bottom engaging in voluntary trade and association with other human beings. This is why when people say we have to design an economy that works for everyone, you are not capable of doing this. You know who's capable of doing this? Everyone. And that's called capitalism and free markets. That is free exchange of goods and services between free individuals. Capitalism is not a social construct made up in a back room by a bunch of fat cats. Socialism is. Redistributive welfare statism is. Those are constructed by fat cats in the back room, and they are likely to fail. Because again, centralized knowledge is not nearly as diverse, diffuse, and useful as collectivized knowledge. The experts, they don't know a lot of things. Well, you know, when the experts don't know a lot of things, it makes you feel a little bit nervous, right? Well, maybe you should prepare for the possibility that the experts don't know everything, by, you know, actually prepping for times when those times get bad. And according to leading industry sources, grocery stores across the United States are currently worried about food shortages, which is not a shock. We have supply chain crises. As a result of this crisis, survival food is a useful thing to have, whether you're talking about like the possibility of a hurricane and there not being enough on the shelves, whether you're talking about an earthquake or whether you're just talking about shortages. The reality is that you should stockpile the foods that your family actually needs. Now you can create your own stockpile of the best-selling Four Patriots Survival Food Kits. Four Patriots Survival Food Kits are tremendous value. This is not ordinary food. This is delicious, nutritious, good for 25 years, super survival food. It's great. You just buy it, you store it in the closet, you don't have to worry about it again. Customers rave about the flavors. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Ben. Get your three-month survival food kit and all your free gifts. These survival food kits are famous for selling out. Now they are back in stock. You'll get loaded up with 273 bucks worth of free gifts when you get yours today. Again, this is the kind of thing you buy. You put it in the closet. Don't worry about it. And then, God forbid something bad happens, you are prepared. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Ben. Grab your three-month survival food kit. That is fourpatriots.com slash Ben. Get your three-month survival food kit and all of your free gifts today. So again, they got all of this wrong. And then they have no answers. 
So Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, she's just in full-scale denial. It, they are left now. The Biden administration, it is amazing. They are left with basically trying to happy talk the American people. The American people are looking at the economy. They can see their stocks taking a massive nosedive. They can see that inflation has eaten up all of their wage gains. We actually have net wage decreases over the course of the last year, thanks to Joe Biden and thanks to the Federal Reserve. And they think that the best thing they can do is just happy talk this thing. They were putting out tweets yesterday about how many jobs had been created. Those jobs would have been created and with better real wages if you guys hadn't interfered in the first place. So now they're just in denial. So Karine Jean-Pierre, the incompetent new White House press secretary, the, the thing you could say about Jen Psaki, you can say that she was a liar and she said things that were untrue, but she wasn't incompetent. Karine Jean-Pierre is like full-scale incompetent. So she said yesterday that Joe Biden's spending binge had nothing to do with inflation. Weird. We are coming out of the strongest job market in, in American history, and that matters. And that a lot of that is thanks to the American Rescue Plan, which only Democrats uh, voted for that. Republicans did not. And it led to uh, this this economic boom, this historic economic boom that we're seeing Didn't with jobs. Didn't it historic inflation? No, that is no. not that is that is that is not uh, that is not how we're seeing the American Rescue Plan. Oh, well, that's not how you're seeing it. There's only one problem. You guys didn't see any of this coming because you have blinders in front of your face. You're walking around with a blindfold and then you're and then you're telling us we should trust you. Well, no, if you choose to let the blind lead you, then you are the blind leading the blind. Or you could just say, no, you guys don't get to control the economy this way because no one should control the economy this way. And this is basic principled kind of stuff. I should get to control my own economic life. It should not be up to people like Karine Jean-Pierre and an incompetent buffoon like Joe Biden to figure out how the economy works. Joe Biden has never run a popsicle stand. Joe Biden has been in the United States Congress since he was 29 years old. He has never held a real job. He's got Hunter Biden picking up bags of cash and presumably paying his bills for years on end. Like, what makes you think this guy knows the first thing about running an economy? Nor, or that anybody knows the first thing about running the economy. This is one of my big bugaboos. You've seen it from Republican presidents and Democrats. They'll say, I created so many jobs. No, you didn't. You created zero jobs. You took money away from one person and you gave it to another. Because that money does not come out of thin air. And if it does come out of thin air, what you're really doing is just robbing future generations who are going to have to pay back that money. And meanwhile, Peter Ducey, he took Karine Jean-Pierre to the, to the woodshed over the tanking stock market. Remember that the Biden administration said, oh, we don't, we don't really follow the stock market. We don't follow the ups and downs. And Peter Ducey's like, well, um, maybe you should since it's down 800 points today. President Biden once bragged about the stock market hitting record after record after record on my watch. How about now? Meaning the stock market. All the gains from President Biden's time in office have been wiped out. So, as you know, we're watching we're watching closely. Uh, we know families are concerned about inflation in the stock market. Uh, that is something that the president is is really aware of. Oh, well, you know, it, you know. Everything, everything's fine, guys. Everything is fine. You know, Jared Bernstein, who's one of the, the advisors to President Biden, who's been doing a stellar job. His advice, obviously, has been, has been really well taken here. He says, you know, we don't pay attention to the daily wiggles in the stock market. Really? Well, do you pay attention to, like, actual bear markets or no? First of all, we don't really uh, pay too much attention to daily wiggles. But I think the broader trend is, of course, something uh, of great interest to us in, in two uh, ways. Uh, first of all, while most stock ownership is concentrated among the very wealthiest, I think 80 percent of the value is held by the top 10 percent. There are still a lot of people with retirement accounts. So we have to be mindful of that. Well, I mean, 58 percent of Americans own stock. So when you say that 80 percent of stocks are owned by the very wealthy, that's true. It also happens to be true that the wealthiest people are wealthy because they own wealth. Like I'm, this is tautological. So yes, you should be paying attention to the stock market because that is people's pension fund. That is everybody's 401k. You're going to have to liquidate that to pay their bills because of the inflation that you idiots created. Meanwhile, you have Gina Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce out there saying, nobody knows more about national affairs than Biden, which may be the dumbest statement of the last five years. Nobody, no one knows more about national... I'm hard-pressed to find anyone who knows less about national affairs than Joe Biden. The man doesn't even know what's going on in the morning. As I've said before, he must be the happiest guy in America. He wakes up every morning and somebody tells him he's president. That, it's so exciting. And Joe Biden doesn't even know what he had for dinner last night. His brain has been reduced to a form of applesauce. Like, what, what is she talking about? They're going to happy talk this one? I don't think so. I mean, I certainly support the president and his uh, national security team. 
uh, no one knows more about you know national affairs uh, than President Biden. And I would say that he is very serious when the president, when he says he's going to use every arrow in his quiver in order to bring down gas prices for Americans. Okay, the problem is that the quiver in his brain is empty. The arrows are all gone. There weren't that many to begin with, and now they are completely gone. The hamster wheel is running. There ain't no hamster. The hamster's dead off in the corner. So when Gina Raimondo tells you that Joe Biden, who believes Joe Biden is in control? Do you, does it, do you believe Joe Biden is in control of himself? Do you, do you think that Joe Biden is capable of, of stewarding the most powerful economy in world history? Do you think that he is, I mean, he is the captain aboard the Titanic right now. Do you think that he is capable? He's sitting around wondering how many pens he has to sign bills with. Here he was yesterday being like, well, you know, when, when Barack Obama would sign a bill, he'd have like eight pens. And for me, I only have one. And the truth is that these days I like to finger paint and you know, they come in for my art therapy and I have crayons. And I like to, they tell me not to use Sharpies because it permanently stains the furniture. And that's just another way I stain the furniture. I don't know why they do this, but they only give me one pen. <laughs> I used to stand in absolute awe and watch Barack Obama sign with seven, eight, nine different pens. Barack Obama. <laughs> and uh, uh, oh God, Kamala Harris. Ah, ah, I can't. I just can't. I can't. The, the very end of that clip where she where she turns to him, I'm in awe. You're so awful. I thought that the worst person in this video is going to be the president. And then they pan back, and you've got Nancy Pelosi wearing a banana, and. You have Kamala Harris, like, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm an odd Joe. These people, they, they should, I trust them, don't you? They're the experts. They're the experts. And Joe Biden, meanwhile, is like, I, I like pens. Pens are fun. And I remember in the olden days, you know, when before the pens where we had like a, a duck feather and we would use like a, it was, they called it a quill. It was about the time my dad would say, Joey, we would walk around scranny and say, you see that quill store? So there's two gay men kissing outside the quill store. Joe Biden in charge of the United States economy. Things are going great. Meanwhile, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she assures us that Joe Biden is actually going to run in 2024. Quote, there's a tweet. To be clear, as the president has said repeatedly, he plans to run in 2024. Yeah, well, he planned to make it to the bathroom in time yesterday. That didn't work out either. So we'll see how things work out for this administration. It's this is why when, when Democrats try to distract from all of this with gun control or with January 6th, most Americans are looking around and they're like, um, this economy, it was not supposed to be like this. It was not supposed to be like this. So Benny Thompson, the rest of the Democrats, they, they keep claiming that there is evidence of criminal acts. We're, we're waiting for that evidence. In the meantime, while we wait, the cost of everything continues to go up from gas to groceries to vacations. Credit card fees are going up as well. It's time to do something about it. If you are a homeowner, your equity is up 20% since last year. That equity can be accessed as cash for the things that you need. You need to call American Finance and get that free mortgage review I've been telling you about. They're going to look at your entire financial picture from your home loans, your equity, even your high interest debt. They will review all of it and they'll do everything they can to help you save up to a thousand bucks a month, plus tens of thousands of dollars long term. Think of the difference that can make, then pick up the phone to learn more. If you start soon, you could skip two payments and you might close in as fast as 10 days. Right now is a great time to look at all of your various financial options. This is why you should give my friends over to American Financing a call at 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300 or visit AmericanFinancing.net and MLS 182-334-NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Go check them out right now. Again, AmericanFinancing.net 866-721-3300. Don't leave financial options on the table. It's getting rough out there for a lot of people, but if you own your own home, there may be some options available for you from American Financing. Check them out today. Give them a call, 866-721-3300 or AmericanFinancing.net. Folks, Matt Walsh's book, What is a Woman, is out right now. Now, you've seen the movie, or if you haven't, you really need to subscribe so you can because it's fantastic. That film was a massive success. If you like the film, you have to read the book too. The book dives even deeper into the interviews and topics featured in the film. Be sure to pick up your copy of Matt Walsh's book, What is a Woman Today? on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Also, tonight, we've been waiting for it for well over a year. You remember that time that Disney Plus canceled Gina Carano? So now Disney is pushing lesbians in Buzz Lightyear films. But last year, they were firing Gina Carano for no apparent reason. And we decided that we were going to hire Gina Carano because people who don't deserve to get canceled Need uncanceling. Well, now the full uncancellation of Gina Carano is here. Terror on the Prairie, coming tonight. Daily Wire announced she would be starring in and producing our next original film. Tonight is the premiere of that film, Terror on the Prairie. 
We prove they can't cancel us if we don't let them. Terror on the Prairie, it's a gritty Western. It is an R-rated Western. Gina is kick-ass in it. She doesn't pull any punches. You're going to love the film. It's great. It's a good old-fashioned Western. No wokeness. Plus, it's produced by our friend Dallas Sonia. He brought you Bone Tomahawk with Kurt Russell, so he knows how to do a gripping, authentic Western. Go to dailywire.com slash Gina. Help us uncancel Gina in full tonight. Tune in tonight, 8.30 p.m. Eastern for the pre-show, 9 p.m. Eastern for the world premiere of the film. Stick around for the Q&A following the film. You have to be a member in order to access the film. Head on over to dailywire.com slash Gina right now. That is dailywire.com slash Gina. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So meanwhile, the Democrats trying to distract from the fact that they have an awful, awful president and they're probably going to have to run him because what is their alternative? Really? You're going to go to like Pete Buttigieg, whose main claim to fame is that he is both gay and went on paternity leave and also was a bad mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Like this, is, this is the big pitch for, for your next presidential candidate. Maybe Kamala Harris, who sits there. I'm, I'm so proud of you, Joe. Oh, my. Ah, the visceral response of Americans, by the way, is the same as my visceral response to Kamala Harris. She is, she is the worst politician I have ever seen. It is not particularly close. I mean, it, it, I didn't think it was possible to get any worse than many of the politicians we've seen over the past several years on right and left. And Kamala Harris has set a new bar, man. So this means they have to distract, right? They, they have to make it about Trump. And so they are going to talk about January 6th, January 6th this and January 6th that. So they had a more of their hearings yesterday. The original big primetime special didn't do what they needed it to do, which was shift the conversation to Trump and January 6th. And so yesterday they had more hearings. And again, they, they've made promises that they, their body just can't cash. They're, they're writing checks that they can't cash, meaning that if these hearings were to mean anything, you have to prove that Donald Trump was actually involved in a conspiracy to overthrow the United States government via a mob that stormed the Capitol. Not that he considered weird legal possibilities on January 6th, not that he was fibbing from November 4th to January 6th or lying from November 4th to January 6th. I mean, all those things were out in public view. We all knew a lot of these things, right? These legal plans that he was putting forth about how Mike, Mike Pence could just throw out electoral votes and all the rest of this, like that was in full public view. What you actually have to show if it's about January 6th is that Donald Trump didn't just incentivize people to riot or he didn't just give them a logical impetus to riot, but that he ordered them, that he coordinated with them, that he was involved in the over the attempt to, quote unquote, overthrow the United States government. And this is what Democrats keep claiming. So, for example, Representative Benny Thompson yesterday, he says, you know, the mob was sent by Trump. Well, no, they weren't. And you're going to have to show evidence that they were, because what he said in that speech was, we want you to peacefully march to the Capitol and protest. That's what he said. I know you want to pretend that he said that you should storm the Capitol and hang Mike Pence, but he didn't actually say that, which is why he was never charged with criminal incitement. And Representative Benny Thompson, they, they keep making claims that they can't actually justify here. And listen, none of this undermines the fact that Donald Trump's behavior on January 6th and leading up to it was egregious, but none of it is actually new. If you're going to pretend that 2022 is about 2020, then, then you actually have to demonstrate that 2022 and the agenda of the Republican Party has something to do with January 6th, 2021, and they've so far failed to do this. Here was Benny Thompson, again, making a promise of evidence that he has yet to present. This morning, we'll tell the story of how Donald Trump lost an election and knew he lost an election and as a result of his loss, decided to wage an attack on our democracy, an attack on the American people by trying to rob you of your voice in our democracy. And in doing so, lit the fuse that led to the horrific violence of January 6th, when a mob of his supporters stormed the Capitol sent by Donald Trump to stop the transfer of power. Sent by Donald Trump to stop the transfer of power is the key there, because that would actually be a criminal act. No one on the Democratic side has provided the evidence that a criminal act was actually performed on January 6th. You can talk about their election of duty during the hours when the riot was going on. You can talk about the lies that Donald Trump told up to January 6th. You can talk about all those things. But that's not what this committee is supposedly going to reveal to you. So instead, they're just rehashing old stuff and hoping that it distracts everybody. So they're saying that, for example, the big takeaways, according to Aaron Blake, writing for the Washington Post, he said there are four big takeaways from the hearings yesterday. One, Trump was told that he lost the election, but he didn't care. Okay, well, yeah. And I mean, like, is this supposed to be new? And we knew all of this. So they showed evidence that Bill Barr was testifying that, that he had told Trump that there. But again, so like Bill Barr has been very public about the fact that he told Trump that the election had been lost, at least not via voter fraud that could be proved. And this is not a shock. And so they showed film of Bill Barr ripping the, the Dinesh D'Souza film, 2000 Mules. OK, so 
And, I mean, he, he did that on my show, too. Like, this is not a secret. My opinion then and my opinion now is that uh, the election was not stolen by fraud. And uh, I haven't seen anything since the election that changes my mind on that, including the 2000 Mules movie. <laughs> Well, maybe you can assess that 2,000 mules and people are talking about that. Well, I mean, just in a nutshell, you know, I just think the GBI was unimpressed with it. And I was similarly unimpressed with it because I think if you because uh, I was holding my fire on that to see what the photographic evidence was. Okay, and and listen. That I went through 2,000 Mules at length. I talked to Catherine Engelbrecht. She's the person behind True the Vote, which provided all the data for 2,000 Mules. Bottom line here is that Barr is not saying anything that he hasn't already said publicly. So what exactly is the committee hoping to find here? And so according to Aaron Blake, here are the four takeaways. Again, takeaway number one is that, quote unquote, Trump was told, but he didn't care. Which, again, Trump has a unique capacity to convince himself of things that are not true. I mean, he was, he was tweeting out that Brian Kemp just won his gubernatorial runoff with David Perdue based on voter fraud, right? D Donald Trump has a unique capacity to, to find in his own mind things that he believes were true and then, and then suggest that they were true. More evidence that almost everyone knew Trump had lost. Okay, again, this is not a shock. Giuliani's time in the barrel, right? So that, that Rudy Giuliani was, was advising Donald Trump. I mean, we, again, we all knew this. Like, well, where is the, where's the meat? I keep asking where's the meat because at a certain point, you're gonna have to show it or we're not going to believe you. They brought out Jason Miller, who's heavily involved in the 2016 Trump campaign to talk about how Trump was listening to drunk Rudy Giuliani. Again, th this is not particularly shocking. I mean, did you watch Rudy Giuliani during this? He was out there with, with lawyers who, like Sidney Powell, suggesting that there was going to be a Kraken released and all, he was standing in front of Four Seasons Lawn and Gardening instead of the Four Seasons Hotel. And like, none of this is a shock, but here's Jason Miller. This is supposed to be the shocking testimony. Was there anyone in that conversation who, in your observation, had had, had too much to drink? Uh, Giuliani. Tell me more about that. What was your observation about his uh, potential intoxication during that, that discussion about what the president should say uh, when he's addressed the nation on election night? And the mayor was definitely intoxicated, but I do not... Um know that his level of talk intoxication when he spoke uh, with the president, for example. Okay, so th that was the other bit. And then the final big revelation from Aaron Blake from the Washington Post is that Donald Trump took in an awful lot of money between the election and January 6th, and he used very little of it for legal maneuvers, which, again, I said at the time, this is not a giant shock. Again, the fact that it's not shocking doesn't change the fact that what Trump did was pretty, was wrong and wild, right? The, the, the amount of legal bills incurred did not amount to the $100 million, $250 million, apparently, that Donald Trump was raising for his super PAC committee. It also happens to be that super PACs, by their very nature, have a lot of fungible cash and they can use them for whatever they want. So I don't think that Donald Trump was using that in ways that his supporters would want him to use it. Apparently, he was paying Kimberly Guilfoyle something like $60,000 for a two-minute speech at the January 6th rally, for example. And this was one of the big revelations yesterday at the, at the hearing. They brought out a, a legislative analyst named Amanda Wick basically laid forth what exactly Trump had done with all of this money. The emails claimed the, quote, left-wing mob was undermining the election, implored supporters to, quote, step up to protect the integrity of the election, and encouraged them to, quote, fight back. But as the select committee has demonstrated, the Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false, yet they continued to barrage small-dollar donors with emails encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The select committee discovered no such fund existed. I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund. Okay, well, the fact that there wasn't actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund doesn't mean that a super PAC couldn't give money to the Election Defense, right, or what they called the Election Defense. Okay, bottom line here is that the January 6th committee, they have provided no evidence so far that really changes the game on what we already knew about January 6th in terms of what people already understood to be happening in the lead up and during January 6th. And that really doesn't speak to 2022. So the Democrats' attempt to shift away from all of this is very unlikely to be successful. And so when Dan Pfeiffer, right, who is a former Obama official, he's over on Pod Save America now, and when he's not trying to shut down Daily Wire and claim that outlets not to his liking should be censored, he's appearing on CNN. Dan Pfeiffer, he, he keeps making the actual argument that the left would like to make, 
which is that January 6th is shorthand for what's happening right now. That, that dog ain't going to hunt because that's not what's happening right now. The story here is a months-long, wide-ranging criminal conspiracy to overturn the election. But we also have to project that forward because January 6th is a shorthand for what is happening right now. You had a Republican gubernatorial candidate in Michigan arrested in his house for participating in the insurrection. You have a Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate who has ran on the platform of giving Pennsylvania's electoral votes to Donald Trump, no matter what the voters say. This is a clear and present danger. And I think as we think about what success means for these hearings, it is focusing the mind on what is coming, not just what happened. Okay, well, it is not focusing America's mind on that. In fact, the only thing that could focus Americans' mind back on January 6th is if Donald Trump runs again. If Donald Trump runs again, there will be a rehash. People will have to deal with this because, again, Donald Trump is very concerned about that. And herein lies the danger for Donald Trump in in another presidential campaign. Donald Trump in 2016 successfully was able to channel Americans' outrage at Democratic governance and say, listen, the reason they hate me is because they hate you. And, And that was a very successful line because many Americans in 2016 and even in 2020, believed that that was true, that the reason they were targeting Trump is not because they particularly hated Trump, but because they hated all the people who had voted for Trump. They hated the deplorables. They hated people who didn't think like they did on social issues. They hated everybody who was not willing to kowtow to their cultural dominance. And then they voted for Donald Trump. The problem right now is that most of those Americans still feel hated by the cultural institutions, as they should. And Donald Trump is not defending them on those grounds. He's saying, they hate me. It's not about they hate you and I'm standing in their way. It's they hate me. Right? They, they stole the election from me. They're mad at me. They're targeting me. If Donald Trump makes 2024 about him, then the election will be about him, and then he will be in trouble. And the way that Donald Trump, if he wants to run again, is going to have to run is by removing his ego from the picture and instead becoming the defender of the Americans that he says he is defending rather than a defender of his own prerogative, his own ego, his own narcissism. If he does that, then he's... I, I don't even know that he wins the nomination if he does that, frankly, because I think most Americans are not thinking right now In the same way that the Democrats want you to think about 2020 and election 2020, I don't think most Americans, right or left, are thinking about that. I think they're thinking about inflation. I think they're thinking about the cultural degradation of the United States. I think they're thinking about our our feckless and and moorless foreign policy. I think that's what they're thinking about right now. Now, speaking of the devastating cultural destruction of our children, it is amazing during this most prized time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Pride Month, LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign, ampersand, pound sign, hashtag emoji. It's that time of the year. It's magic. Well, I think most Americans are beginning to see that there has been a rather striking move from what we do in our own bedrooms is none of your business, leave us alone, to I'm going to put on a strap on and I'm going to mimic masturbation in front of your children. I think most Americans can see that. The argument for leave us alone, privacy, consent, that argument radically changes when the idea is performative sexual antics in front of children so as to induct them into the idea that all forms of sex are morally equivalent and that if you do not believe this, you are a bigot. It, it, it's a striking shot, uh, really. That is, a, that is a rather shocking move that we have seen from the radical left in terms of the LGBTQ divided by sign community. That is is an unsustainable argument, and it's going to have massive backlash attached. And every video that comes out of major American celebrities doing this, or every pride parade that features men in assless chaps jiggling their, their nether regions before small children is going to create a backlash that I think people are not going to like very much. So, for example, Christina Aguilera, who is looking rough these days. Christina Aguilera, she was at the LA Pride Parade, where she donned a a bejeweled strap-on, which is always just a delightful thing, and uh, mimics masturbation. This was an event open to all ages, so presumably there are minors in the crowd. Here we go. She's been blurred out. She's wearing a strap-on, and then she's mimicking masturbation. Oh, my God. So she's got another woman who is essentially on her knees before her. And then she is going to uh, she's going to mimic masturbating right now with her tongue out in front of a woman on her knees in front of her. This is this is exactly the kind of stuff that, that I think that America's children should be exposed to, because if they are exposed to this sort of stuff, then presumably it will broaden their minds to the point where all their brains fall out. 
Also, you'll have increasing rates of suicidal ideation among children if they are exposed to a ruleless and roleless society, which is precisely what you're seeing. And it's being promoted by every cultural institution in America. Pride parades are no longer the preserve of adults who are engaged in antics better relegated to the recesses of their boudoirs. Instead, you have men with fake breasts attached to them twerking in front of children. This is a thing that happened at, I believe, again, the LA Pride Parade. I believe this one is. Um, here is, uh, in front of a cop, by the way. In all likelihood, this would have been arrestable for indecent exposure in any prior time. Um, but um, here we go. And here is a man wearing devil horns, strutting over with fake breasts, and, uh, and trying to twerk on a police officer who's attempting to get away. There are children who are right there in the crowd. Isn't that, isn't that delightful? This is, it's the best that America has to offer. I mean, this is what Nancy Pelosi says. And, and all of this is attached to a basic agenda, which is to, it is to go after kids, not for sexual pleasure but to go after kids and to mold their minds in such a way that you have raised the next generation to believe all of the radical things that make you feel good about yourself, which is why it is rather important. You have to see this as part of a broader left-wing movement to take your ability to raise your child away from you and through the mechanisms of social media and through the mechanisms of entertainment and through the mechanisms of, the, of, of corporate, corporate America and, and schooling to essentially indoctrinate your kids in an alternative system of values that opposes everything that you wish to teach them. That is the goal here. And it, this is its most extreme form. The less extreme form is, of course, Disney is releasing its new movie, Lightyear, this year. It's coming out this week. And they've decided to go on full-on LGBT propaganda in the film. So they actually have a lesbian kiss in the film between one of the kids. This is an animated film made for small children. And they're now adding in LGBT orientation lessons for small kids. This is not a shock. I mean, Disney has said they have a not-so-secret gay agenda. That's according to producer Latoya Ravino who says that they are seeking to add queerness to children's programming. The reason that you're doing this is not because you're seeking to protect the kids, but because you are seeking to indoctrinate the kids in a belief system that makes you feel better about yourself. That is the goal here. And this isn't just true on issues of LGBT. This is also true on issues of race, which is why you have people like Ibram X. Kendi, who is a grifter extraordinaire. I mean, this moral idiot is now writing books for small children, the goal of which is to indoctrinate them in the idea that America is systemically racist, and that racism is in the air all around you and that children have to be thinking about race all the time, that somehow this is better for them. So here is Imram X. Kendi. I believe he's on Good Morning America, correct? This is in CBS Mornings, who is talking about how his books teach children to see racism. So normally what you want to teach kids is to treat everybody really well. Like my kids do not even understand racism because the idea that people should be treated differently based on their skin color is idiotic to them. And by the way, I believe this has been the pattern in the United States for at least two generations at this point. I mean, I was raised this way. The idea was that there are kids in your class who look different than you, and so what? Like, treat everybody as an individual, which is the essence of decency. Edward Max Kennedy teaches precisely the reverse. You're supposed to treat people as part of an essentialized race that has a status in American society, and thus we have to have different standards for everyone based on their immutable characteristics. Here's Edward Max Kennedy promoting this garbage to children. Now look at you and say, you're the racist, actually, Ibram Kendi. I, I was watching someone on TV. You're the one that's a racist who's, who's promoting these ideas. He's teaching everyone to see race as yes. opposed to the opposite. Exactly. Well, actually, teaching people to see racism. There's, uh -huh. there's a difference. difference. Like, the, race is a mirage, but racism is real. And it's, you know who's the most likely to be harmed by racism? Our children. And you know who we're the least likely to engage about it? <laughs> Our, our children. Our children. Yeah. You know, yes. that's what's really so propelling true. me to do this work. What in the world does that mean? Seriously, I, I, want, I want him to, like, explicate that. Racism is, is most likely to affect our kids. So what, they're supposed to become the chief activists? They're children. The goal is to protect children, but no. For the left, it's not. It's to make them tiny activists. The idea is that children are supposed to be tiny activists for their particular point of view. Now, the argument that the left makes is, well, you know, you on the right, you also want to indoctrinate your children in your values. That's right. They're my kids. They're not your kids. They're my kids. And not just that, the values that I'm seeking to teach my kids have been time-tested over the course of several thousand years. The values you're seeking your kids came directly out of your colon five seconds ago. And now you're wishing to indoctrinate kids into an entire system of belief that is perverse and confusing to children. And then we are wondering why exactly we have a massive increase in the, in the amount of suicidal ideation and mental illness among kids. Eric Kaufman 
has a pretty brave piece today over at Quillette talking about this. And he makes a point that I've been making for months on this program, which is that when you look at the skyrocketing rates of mental illness and suicidal ideation among teenagers, that is not disconnected from the sexual anarchy that we have been promoting to small kids. And when you remove all roles, all of the duties, all of the responsibilities, all of the rules surrounding children, what you end up with is kids who are confused, kids who don't know what to do with themselves, kids who are facing the prospect of their own changing biology with, with, nothing, with no tools to handle any of that. And then you wonder why people are, are losing their minds, why kids are more suicidal. You wonder why all this is happening? Because you created it and you can see it in the stats. We're all supposed to pretend that it was COVID. It wasn't COVID. It predates COVID. We're all supposed to pretend that it has something to do with the animistic, A-N-O, animistic, atomistic society that we've created, but we're not supposed to actually explain how we got to this atomistic society. We're supposed to pretend that individualized sexual and sexual orientation and gender identity standards are not atomistic in any way. That's a communal thing. That, no, it's not. So, writes Eric Kaufman today in a very important piece over at Quillette, Will America be entirely gay in a few generations? Will everyone be mentally ill? It would appear so from a straight-line extrapolation of the stunning rise in both LGBT identification and mental illness among young Americans. Let's begin with trends in sexual orientation among young people. A recent Gallup survey found that roughly 20% of Generation Z Americans who have reached adulthood, those born between 97 and 2003, identify as LGBT. That is nearly double the proportion of millennials who do so, while the gap widens even further when compared with older generations. Abigail Schreier reports a 1,000-fold increase in trans identification. Republican Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks this indicates there will be no straight people in a few generations. Bill Maher lampoons the increase as a rebellious fad. Progressives celebrate the rise as an electoral boon for the Democrats. Other liberals view the, view the rise as a product of increasing toleration, like left-handedness, right? This is the chart that they'll send you when you mention the increasing rise in ID. They'll say, well, you know, it used to be that society suppressed left-handedness. Then it got rid of the suppressions and a lot of people identified as left-handed. Yeah, the difference is that flattened out at like 7% of the population. Didn't continue to rise generation on generation over time. Says Eric Kaufman, of these responses, Mars is closest to the target. A granular look at survey data on same-sex behavior and LGBT identity shows identification is increasingly diverging from behavior. More importantly, those who adopt an LGBT identity but display conventionally heterosexual behavior are a growing and distinct group who lean strongly to the left politically and experience considerably greater mental health problems than the rest of the population. In other words, you have a bunch of people who are self-identifying as queer who are actually just heterosexual, quote-unquote, cisgender people, people who identify with the sex they were born into and only have sex with people of the opposite sex, which used to be the statistical norm. And those people are identifying as queer. By contrast, and this is really an interesting contrast Derek Kaufman is drawing, those who engage in same-sex behavior are more politically moderate and psychologically stable than left-wingers who are, associate, who, are, who are now calling themselves LGBTQ but engaging in heterosexual behavior. These facts sit awkwardly with the progressive view that the rise in LGBT identity, like left-handedness, is explained by people increasingly feeling they can come out of the closet because society is more liberal. My analysis of these data raise another interesting question. Has some of the increase in anxiety and depression among young people, like the LGBT identity surge, arisen from a culture that values divergence and boundary transgression over conformity to traditional norms and rules? And then he goes through the data, and the data is really, really compelling. And he says, there's a serious issue thrown up by these trends, rising levels of anxiety and depression, especially among LGBT female and liberal young people. Derek Thompson's Atlantic article shows that over three in four LGBT identifying teens in 2021 said they felt persistently sad or hopeless, as did 57% of female teens. The 2021 GSS and 2020 Qualtrics survey I conducted show that very liberal young people are twice as likely as slight liberals, moderates, and conservatives to say they have experienced depression and anxiety. LGBT young people are 2.5 times more likely to report these symptoms. This means there is a strong correlation between, people, between people's responses to three questions, sexual orientation, mental health, political beliefs. In fact, a common factor accounts for almost half of the variation in the answers across all three questions, suggesting they heavily overlap. While it can be difficult to pick causation and correlation apart, there's one figure that is interesting. The figure compares two separate groups, young women who report having slept with a woman over the past year and young women who did not sleep with a woman but identify as LGBT. The data shows that the share of women who have had a same-sex partner does not differ a great deal in their ideology. Around 3% of both liberal and conservative women reported a same-sex experience between 2008 and 2021. There's a huge ideological difference, however, among women who have not had a same-sex partner but still identify as LGBT, which means to say political identity, an identity that is directly aimed at Judeo-Christian value systems. Turning to mental health, 
He says, I find the same pattern. Women exhibiting same-sex behavior are far less different from the average than women who have conventional sexual behavior but identify as LGBT. So bottom line is this. The progressive account that LGBT identification is like left-handedness, that persecution explains mental illness, that rising toleration leads to more people coming out, cannot account for the patterns in my data. A more parsimonious explanation is that left liberal culture, especially among young people, inclines people to identify as both LGBT and as having a mental health problem. It may be the modern culture is, as Boston University's Leah Greenfield suggests, anomic. That is, by breaking down established identity roles, narratives, and boundaries, it introduces dissonance, indeterminacy, and choice, increasing rates of identity crisis, and by extension, psychological distress. The rise in mental health problems is worse in the West than elsewhere in the world, reflecting the cultural specificity of mental illness. In a recent article for the Wall Street Journal, Greenfield says, the more a society is dedicated to the value of equality, the more choices it offers for individual self-determination, the higher its rates of functional mental illness. Equality inevitably makes self-definition a matter of one's own choice. The formation of personal identity becomes a personal responsibility, a burden some people can't shoulder. You know who can't shoulder that burden? Any of them? Children. You know who the left seeks to make those decisions? Children. That is why they are targeting children. And anybody, by the way, who, who tries to cram this down on children is committing a sin. You know, the, the, one of the pieces of data that the left likes to cite all the time with regards to this sort of stuff is the idea, and it's not data, that if you give puberty blockers to children, that this somehow is going to make their lives better. Cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, is it going to make everything better? Well, as it turns out, there's a brand new study from Heritage Foundation, Professor Jay Green, who's a senior research fellow at the Center for Education Fo Policy, and he finds that actually lowering the legal barriers to make it easier for minors to undergo cross-sex medical interventions without parental consent does not reduce suicide rates. It leads to higher rates of suicide among young people in states that adopt these changes. Again, not a shock. Confuse kids and then give them the means to screw themselves up and they will take it. None of this is surprising. But you know what the media is angry at? The media is angry at anybody who mentions this stuff or at anybody who even offers the option to kids to get involved in societal institutions that have proved their worth over the course of centuries which is why, for example, Sports Illustrated, which used to be a sports magazine and now is actually just a left-wing propaganda outlet that sometimes covers sports. They put out a cover of a coach named Joe Kennedy. He's been a guest on this program. Joe Kennedy happens to be a football coach who was fired for the great sin of kneeling for prayer. So you can kneel for the American flag. You can't kneel for prayer at a public school. He kneeled for prayer after the games and, some, and he didn't force any of the kids to join him. And some of the kids came and joined him. Even kids from the other teams. And so the school district decided to fire him, and he sued. So again, prayer in schools was allowed in the United States like as a matter of course for the vast majority of American history. But this wasn't even prayer really in school. This was after the game, he would kneel. And then he was fired for that great crime. So Sports Illustrated put out a tweet. said, a prayer in court. SCOTUS will soon rule on the case of a public school football coach who wants to pray on field after games. After games, Greg Bishop on Joe Kennedy, the machine backing him, and the expected result, a win for Kennedy and an erosion of a bedrock of American democracy. See, according to the left, it is a bedrock of American democracy that we must not, we must not allow children to engage with any of the important things in American life. That is a bedrock of American democracy. In fact, we must cram down an alternative point of view. There is no such thing when it comes to the education of children as value neutrality. People on the right who believes that there is, they're wrong. There's no value neutrality in the education of children. The best you can do with regard to value neutrality, meaning we just put you there and you learn what you need to know, is if you actually restricted what was taught to reading, writing, math. That would be value neutrality. But so long as we are teaching anything remotely resembling values in the classroom, somebody's going to win and somebody is going to lose. And right now, the people who are winning in the culture, in the educational system, in corporate America, the people who are winning are the people who seek to confuse and destroy your kids. Those are the people who are on the ascendance in American society. And so we shouldn't be surprised. Well, I mean, if you think that the rates of suicidal ideation have skyrocketed in the past couple of years, wait about five years. Wait about five years when TikTok generation comes of age. As those kids get older, the amount that those kids are going to be screwed up will be beyond. I mean, this is not just a suicidal culture that we are currently engaged in. A culture where, again, you are expected to provide a defense of age-old, historic, proved, tried-and-true institutions. You must defend those. But nobody has to defend the idea that a boy can be a girl and you should pump cross-sex hormones into kids without parental consent. That is, a, that is a society that promotes suicide on the individual level. But not only is it that kind of society, it's a society that does not want to survive. It's a society in which we have basically decided that we are at the end of time. And at the end of time lies a brave new world in which people are specifically devoted to genital pleasure above all else 
and the pleasure that comes from the celebration of your identity, which can be shifting and movable and completely fluid from day to day. And that identity is more important than the success of the civilization or the continuation of the civilization. And, and after all, if there is no next generation, well, at least we'll have a big party at the end of this one. And then, you know, whatever happens next, the earth will go back to the, to the animals and the earth will grow green again and everything will be better. And then there are those people who want to actually, you know, have humanity and, and important Western civilizations continue into the future. Those are people who actually believe in all the rules, rules and necessities that kids need in order to live healthy and functional lives. And they have to be opposing this garbage with every fiber of their being. All right, we'll be back here later today with more content. In the meantime, check out the Matt Wall Show. It airs 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, production coordinator Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on The Matt Wall Show, Christina Aguilera performs in a family-friendly concert, quote-unquote, with a strap-on dildo. This is just one example of extreme, over-the-top debauchery and degeneracy being totally normalized and institutionalized in our culture. We're going to talk about where all this leads and uh, what we can do about it today. Also, Karen Jean Pear laughs off any concerns about her boss's senility. The White House meets with defund the police advocates as crime ravages communities across the country. A Twitter thread goes viral detailing the horrifying realities of gender-affirming surgeries, quote-unquote. In our daily cancellation, Lizzo is forced to apologize and change and reissue her latest single due to controversy over the language in the song. But you'll never guess which word has people so upset. Seriously, you'll never guess. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Hey, 